Welcome everyone to The Immigrant's Journey, a space where we grow and learn about people's immigrant experiences in Ireland and abroad. Today, I am so excited to have with us Toya Ushembe, who is a husband and a father of two children. And outside from that role, he helps leaders and entrepreneurs to build businesses that grow from startup to scale up, to empower their staff and free up time through his coaching and training programs. Toya has worked as a leadership coach, leadership consultant, and business coach and trainer for over 20 years, gaining experience in trends on entrepreneurship, leadership, and future trends of work. As an avid reader of over 2,000 books on these topics, Toya is passionate about helping businesses and organizations do good and make the world a better place. In addition to this, Toya is also involved in his church and community. And he is the host of one of my favorite podcasts of 2019. It's called Leadership for Startups. Such great content and interviews there. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Toya, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Yes. So as mm-hmm. always, um, I like to start a little bit in the beginning. Now, I know you were born in London. but That's you're- right you had an immigrant journey, not too dissimilar to mine, because I went from Brazil to the United States from seven to 25, and you went from London to Nigeria from seven to 26. So tell tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was um, a very interesting um, experience. My parents um, came to London in the 50s, studied, and um, my dad studied law and did all his studies here and then went to Nigeria in 73 and also qualified as a barrister in Nigeria and then came back to London. And then in 76, um, the whole family, he decided to take the whole family to Nigeria. And um, we were, were a family of six children. I'm number five. And, um, yeah, and so we landed in Nigeria first time. It was a a very interesting experience because we had no visual image of what it was like. Obviously, these are the 70s. This is the days before internet, Instagram, and all this. (laughs) So... (laughs) So you can only imagine what it was like. And um, the image that we had was uh, just palm trees and beaches. That's, that's literally what it, we thought. <laughs> Is that what you thought you were going to walk into? Just palm, be- uh, palm trees and beaches? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, it was the, the whole concept. Obviously, I was still a child anyway. So it was a limited uh, understanding. And it was, it was a, a challenge to adapt for a number of years for me in particular. Mm. What were some of the challenges that you faced? Well, um, I think it was a bit of a shock in terms of just being in a different environment. Um, And as much as I'm Nigerian, right? But when you go, anybody who's sort of born abroad might understand that the people who are originally, you know, born in that place won't necessarily see you in that way. Yeah. And so they would see you as a, a foreigner. Yeah. 
Yes, an and, outsider. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. So there's a bit of understanding that upset. I didn't speak the language Yoruba. And so it was a bit of a, a challenge just yeah, adapting to the culture, to the food, to the, uh, you know, the lack of electricity, all these basic <laughs> things that all of a sudden become, you become more aware of how easy it is to take certain things for granted. Absolutely. So those are some of the main challenges, you know, originally. And what made you decide to move back to London? Because you didn't come back to London until you were 26, is that right? That's right, yes. Yes. So I guess um, what at the time when I was studying in university, the country was just going through upheaval of strikes and um, the government were, it was a military government at the time and just not stable. And I thought, well, I've, I'm a British citizen. I've got a British passport. Um, my brothers were also, two of my brothers in between that time had also come back to London. And I thought I might as well give that a try, come back here and see what I can do. And if there's any way in which I can eventually go back or somehow still add value to Nigeria, Africa, then I can at least see that I've tapped in some other ideas from somewhere else, you know, in London, basically. So, so I had a, a clear plan of what I wanted to do um, also. And um, I didn't see that sort of materializing in, in Nigeria at the time. So when you returned to London, what did you do there? Well, when I arrived, I originally arrived <laughs> with a very clear plan of studying interior design. Ooh. And um, yeah, I actually uh, found a course uh, while I was in Nigeria. I'd finished studying uh, in, in, in Nigeria. I studied business administration. I wanted to set up my own business. At the time, the idea was to go into furniture design, um, have a bit of a blend of an African kind of flavor on furniture so I had all these great ideas signed up for this course the very day I landed <laughs> in London I applied for the course I sent the thing in the post I was that focused um, and then eventually I ended up working for a company uh, designing kitchens which was something like it and then I was doing some home home study courses and then that sort of then began to change and then over time I ended up doing what I'm doing. So how did you transition from being an interior designer, that sounds fascinating by the way, <laughs> to being an entrepreneur and to being a person that coaches people that are yeah. starting out in the business world? So my journey goes from, from that, which was um, sort of a design. I never really got into the full interior design. I think I, I actually saw it more of a business idea um, than just the interior design, even though I, was, I, did, I did study part of that. And then uh, when I was working in the kitchen uh, company, I then it was more of a sales role. And so I, I realized that this was a key strength. Um, and then I started to put more energy into that. And then as it happened, I then ended up um, working for my church for a number of years. So I worked for my church for about five years. And in doing that, um, the my skills 
with regards to leadership then became a lot more. I became a lot more aware about my teaching ability and my leadership ability. And so when I finished um, working full-time for the, for the church and I went back into secular work, I went back into sales first, worked for a Fortune 500 company, and then that transitioned into training. And then I then set up my own coaching and training business. Uh, and uh, so that was sort of the, the steps that I took uh, on that journey towards eventually becoming um, a business coach and now a leadership consultant coach is what is what I do for a living. I've been doing that for a number of years. It's fantastic. Tell me, has there been any shifts in your thinking throughout the years that have enabled you to push to resistance and find success in life? Because we all face resistance, we all face blocks, yeah. but people deal with it differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, I think earlier on in this whole journey, one of the things that I realized is I've got to become uh, a learner, like, um, and that is an ongoing thing, yes. and and that's partly the reason why I love love reading books because it's a quick way of getting access to information and then striving to apply. So uh, yes, there have been shifts. There, there have been many shifts. And I think there's some significant shifts for me. Um, one of them, one of the books that I always recommend is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Great Covey. Um, and when I read that book in 2001, it, you know, the whole paradigm shift, <laughs> you know, no pun intended, but um, the whole paradigm shift idea, I realized that what I was trying to achieve with other people in particular, because in my leadership role, I think what I, I understood that, oh, the leader is the boss, the, the telling, and almost like, almost manipulating, you know, trying to get people to do what you want them to do. And it was a huge shift in understanding that you can even do that and they will do it for a time, but they might not do it for the rest of their lives because they never chose to do it. Mm. And so one of the key principles that has been sort of a core is around help people make choices. And for myself, I've always got a choice and that's been a sort of a, a principle, which is that in every situation, there's always a choice. You can say yes and you can say no. Now you might get fired for that, <laughs> but you've always got that choice. And that's definitely been um, one of the things. And then the second would be uh, in terms of persistence or perseverance. And I think that when it comes to, you know, specifically about your question about resistance which is that um you know i think it's about just once you've decided or chosen to go down a particular route then it's about the daily steps the one step at a time so that's sort of what i try to apply and how i try to deal with resistance um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's sense. really good advice. And I hear that kind of thing <laughs> coming back over and over again. I think people that um, find themselves in a place in their life that they're happy with, that's mm -hmm. exactly the attitude that they bring to it. Constant learner, being willing to adapt, 
and just taking in as much information on a topic as possible and just pulling mm. out the best bits that work for you and your situation. Mm. Do you have a daily habit or practice that you feel really contributes to your success in life? Yeah, I mean, um, as I've said, I'm a person of faith, so I think praying definitely um, helps a lot. And I read the Bible, and I think those are two fundamental things that I would say grounds me. But in addition to that, but I think that, you know, a lot of people can say, yeah, I do that as well. Ha, ha, ha. So I, don't, I think what I realized was that there's actually a lot more, um, especially in today's world in particular, right? And um, what I realized is that in today's world, things are moving so fast, so busy, that if you're not careful, even if you did have a, you know, proper reflection time, meditation, prayer, that by the time it's 11 o'clock, you can forget what's happened and, you know, you're so busy. And so I, I derived these sort of what I call daily five or rule of five. And, um, and it's all about, you know, making sure that I think, you know, I have clarity around my thinking. And I even just try to condense uh, it to like a thought for the day type of thing. And then trying to plan the day. And I realized that the days that I plan, uh, I have a specific way of planning, which might be top three things. If I can get these top three things done, then it's a good day. And when I do those things, I can look back and say it was a good day or not. And when I don't do those things, I don't even know how to assess the day. So that was the second <laughs> It's true. You know, and then, then there's the do, which is um, the actual activity that I, I want to do. So it's to think, the plan, the do, and then reflect. And I think that this is where I, over the years, I've learned a lot that with reflection comes insights. And I found out that, as I said, in today's busy world, what you might realize sometimes that if you don't ask yourself certain questions, there could be a lot of good things that have happened in the day. But because you didn't ask yourself what went well today, you, would, you won't even know yeah. because the brain is more likely to remember the negatives than the positives. Yeah. So I think, so that's been a very key part where I ask myself, so what went well? Um, and then other questions as well. And then the last one is learn, which is um, what did I learn from all this? You know, so I try and do that. I have a journal. I try and write it down. So think, plan, do, reflect, learn. And I try to make that a daily habit. And uh, it helps me to realign myself back when I'm wandering off. It helps me to be more grateful for the things that uh, have happened, even the small things. And it helps me to be more aware of um, sometimes when I'm just losing touch with certain things. So that's that something that I definitely, and I try to teach that to others as well. No, I think that's fantastic advice. And speaking of advice, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a difficult question to... Um, <laughs> um, I think... Um, I think the whole... There are many things, and, I, and I'm trying to think what's the best advice. I think what I said earlier on about, um, you know, that you've always got the power to choose. Um, I think that's been good advice. Um, I think the best advice, 
Whew. Best advice. Um, take responsibility. I think. I think that's mm. been, and I think that's yeah. I think um, you know. I think that's been the main, most important thing, which is about. Um, I need to take responsibility for my own life, and I think the earlier um, I've adopted that mindset, it's helped me not to complain, not to moan, not to you know, just to really see that I'm responsible. Yes. And it, it's very empowering, isn't it? Because now you're in a position where you have choice, you have agency, you can act. Yeah. It's not, it's not about passing the buck to somebody else. You That's are the right. one that can do it. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you deal with failure or things not going your way? Um, well, I mean, the, I think the whole, um, the reality is over the years your failure could be a difficult thing you know and it depends on where it's happening in your life you know Um, they're very personal things that can happen in our lives that we might see as failure that is hard to um, go back and repair um you know losing losing a, a a loved one maybe when you didn't get to express certain things you might see that as a failure and so there are some elements where they're very very difficult when we were when my wife and I got married we had some challenges first of all just even having children at one point we thought that we won't be able to have and then when my wife got pregnant first time after 5 months unfortunately she lost uh, we lost a child and then it happened again a second time. And those were some really challenging moments. Um, now, you might say, is that failure? Well, you know, but you can, you know, it goes in that bucket of how do you deal with that? Yeah. And, um, and, and then there are other things where you're the one that made the mistake, right? But in all the situations, um, again, it's funny because those principles that I mentioned earlier on about in every situation, you have a choice. What I realized is that the choice to see the failure, the experience, whatever it was to quickly, whether it's to grieve, whether it's to just accept uh, and then to decode, what could I learn from this situation? What, is life teaching me in this situation and is there something that i can take away from this that i can either apply to my own life is there a principle that i missed you know if it was something that i made the mistake on so that i can learn from it and also i also think that our stories of failure make us connect with more people yes so, <laughs> so so failure is part of life i think the person who has no failure in his life will not be relatable um and and so i have to embrace it and and put it down as wow this could be a great story when i get over this <laughs> <laughs> yes once i'm emotionally healed yeah, it'll exactly, be something exactly, yeah exactly so that's the how i would i try to um, deal with failure see as part of life um, obviously you want to avoid as many as possible but what can I draw from it what can I learn how can I avoid it is there something I can take away and also this failure in itself could be a good story 
for me to share and can use it to connect with other people. Yes, for sure. So speaking of connecting with other people, why is business good for society? Oh, <laughs> well, um, I've had a long think about this. And um, one thing that I was sharing with somebody else was that when you look around you, you know, all the things that we benefit from today, you find out that somebody had to come up with the idea. An entrepreneur came up with the idea, the laptop, the the this, the that. And I think we, we don't always take enough time to reflect and to connect the dots about how part of life thrives through development, enhancement. Um, I mean, somebody I was reading somewhere um, just, just a few days ago, and it said that um, most of us, especially in the Western part of the world, that we are actually living the way royalty lived a few hundred years ago. Yep. Yeah, and we're still moaning. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Our human beings will always have time to moan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. But but coming back to your question in particular, um, and so what that means is if a business is true to its mission, which should be, it should be to produce products and services that enhance the lives of people, that's a good business, then absolutely business is important because they are producing a service or product that is making our lives better. Well, that's the service and the, and the, um, and the product, right? Yeah. When you think about the individuals, the employees, if the business is run well with good leadership, then that also means that you have men and women going to work, enjoying their work, knowing that they're, doing meaningful work that's contributing to society. So you have parents that are now fulfilled that come home knowing that they're contributing. So you can sort of see, and that gets cascaded down to the children and you have a happy household. So you can sort of see how, wow, if we really get this right, society, cities will flourish. That's why I always talk about flourishing because when the business is profitable, it can then contribute also in other ways to society, to the to the city, to contribute to the welfare, to the poor, to the needy, the CRS part can also work well. And then you actually, all of a sudden, you realize that, wow, that actually is how society is meant to run, is that people work, they do meaningful work, businesses thrive, people, it enhances the uh, uh, living and welfare of people. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. And what a fantastic answer that was. Um, I also wanted to ask you, what do you think is the distinction between entrepreneurship and leadership? And is there one? Because they seem to blend a bit sometimes. Yes, um, that's true. This is something that I learned from um, sort of a mentor, John Maxwell, who's written many books. And, um, and I see the distinction because you see, when you think about entrepreneurship, you know, a true entrepreneur takes an idea and is able to turn it into a product or service, right? Which that in itself takes a skill set, um, certain competencies, certain char characteristics of knowing how to, there are certain things that entrepreneurs do 
that I think is quite slightly separate from leadership. One of them is that entrepreneurs see opportunities before other people. That's a quite a clear distinction. Um, And then entrepreneurs also know how to sort of analyze and turn that um, idea into a monetary kind of way, you know, so they can turn an idea and turn it into monetary value. Right, those are certain skill sets that uh, is an entrepreneurship um, skill set. When you then talk about leadership, see, the reason why I think businesses have problems sometimes is because the entrepreneur also has to now be a leader of people, and in doing that, it's it's, it's not a complete but it's a different skill set that's now needed. You need to have emotional intelligence to connect with people, you need to just like what I said. You can't just tell people what to do, say jump, and then they say how high. You've got to connect with them. They've got to see your vision. They've got to get buy-in to you. you know, so you, all of a sudden, you begin to say, that, oh, actually, you, know, you could be a great entrepreneur, but you could be a lousy leader. And that's the distinction is that um, you're going to need to have to learn both if you're going to be a great entrepreneur and leader. Um, and, and I think that's uh, one of the key distinctions. And another way of assessing this is, uh, no disrespect, but people in government, for instance, they're not necessarily entrepreneurs, but they could be a great leader you know, of people, but they didn't come up with the idea, et cetera. And I think those are some of the ways of how you can easily distinct, uh, make the distinction that a leader might not necessarily be an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur might not necessarily be a leader. Yes. That's a really good distinction. There's a creative element that goes with yeah. entrepreneurship that leadership doesn't necessarily have to have. Yes. Although you although you can get very creative in how you connect and connect, motivate yeah. humans, but but yeah, they are definitely distinct. How about the future of work? What do you see are the growing trends and how that's going to affect our lives going forward? Uh, well, it's affecting us already. Um, but yeah, moving forward, uh, I mean, this is one of the areas that um, I think many of us, unfortunately, are not aware of how rapidly things might change. And the, way, the only way I can liken it to is, you know, it's sort of similar to when society moved from agricultural age to industrial and you could imagine how it must have been if your family have owned a farm for several years passed down generations and everybody's moving to the city to become part of a an industry how it's disturbing it's change and people won't want to let go and i think it's similar to what's happening now where we're moving from industrial age to digital age even to a more um, robotic age and I think the the challenges that I foresee in terms of work number one is that um, many of us are going to need to upskill ourselves um, quickly because the robots and I, I, when I say when I train or deliver messages and I say the robots are taking our jobs people laugh but they but they don't see that actually it's true you know I was in a meeting today and um, one of the directors in, you know, was saying that we're going to introduce robotics 
and and he was saying that it's going to save us several hours to do this more efficiently and but what he didn't say was that because of that the people that were doing that manually no longer are needed yes <laughs> you know and and so that's one of the things that i definitely would foresee and it's going to happen quite rapidly that's the first thing the second thing i also foresee is how we work you know again coming back to this leadership thing and coming back to this um um what i would say industrial mindset into a digital mindset is a lot of uh the industrial mindset was based on clock in clock out you know you come in at nine you finish at five or whatever and what's going to shift in the workplace is that we're going to be able to work from almost well in many not every situation but in many situations you're going to be able to work from almost anywhere and what that would mean is how we manage people is going to be different and what it would end what would actually it would force it will force employees to start to learn to manage themselves or else they will not be productive yes you know and i think so it does eventually come down to employees now have to learn leadership skills because the one person that they will at least need to lead is themselves. And the reason why I use the word leadership is because um, there's going to be even more reasons to be distracted. And unless you have the principles of leadership, having a clear vision, a clear plan, a clear, a clear daily habit, all these things I've been talking about for the individual, this is the employee. It's got nothing to do with whether you've got staff just for you then you won't really survive. And so that's how I see um, the future of work, is that it would be, yeah, it would be that. I think you are spot on. Um, just Monday and Tuesday, I was in Germany with a friend of mine, and he was doing a workshop there for a massive pharmaceutical company. And the workshop was about finding work-life balance. And mm -hmm. that team was meeting face-to-face -face for the first time. These are wow. all high performers. They're doing excellent in their prospective careers. They're all living in different countries, but they're together. all working together on this yeah. one project. But it was the first yeah. time, it was, it was a fascinating thing. But yeah, that's definitely mm -hmm. the trend that's coming around the corner and knowing how to be able to navigate and thrive in that type of environment is definitely going to require an attitude of being a lifelong learner. All individuals yeah. must adopt yeah. this. I'm going to be a lifelong learner. It's not like yeah. I learned the skill set. I did this training. Mm -hmm. Now I can do my job forever. Those days are done. They yeah. really are. Yeah. That's absolutely yes. fascinating. So one final question. I've absolutely loved this interview. It's been great having you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. But my, uh, my last question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started out in business? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I think the key thing that... I would have, yeah, that would have really helped when I first started was the importance of um, principles and processes. I think that would be 
the the key because um you know and the reason why i say that is because when i first ran my business it was all about me i didn't and i and you sort of get stuck in in the business and even though you might say you know that you need to build a business but a business is only really a business when it can work without you having to be there and even though it might still be in that phase where you're there but i think there's a difference of when you're building it with that in mind based on principles and processes so that when you hire more people they can follow through on the principles and processes uh than it all being in your head and then it just you then become the center of it and it's very difficult to then scale it up so i think that would be the key thing that i would have it would be nice to have known in the very very early day which principles and processes would have been of use to you do you think um so the 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 principle this is it's a, okay it's not a play on words right but it's about you know a lot of times people will talk about core values yes. right um but what i would say is i think when you use the word this is my own definition i think values are simply things that you value mm-hmm. right but principles i believe that they're timeless um aspects of life so for instance um you know honesty integrity trust um quality service there's certain things that people will never argue about that uh, this is this is the way it should be mm. and that's what i would call principles so i would say you know valuing those principles whichever um, you know many or few that you want to hold on to mm-hmm. uh, so for me definitely it would be those ones that i mentioned um and then and i think that's the key thing which is valuing those principles that's the first thing and then the second thing about the the processes i think it's about um in the order of sales process marketing process um hiring process like having a a a systematic way of how you would get a quality person hired for instance um knowing how you would sell um a product obviously it goes through testing and then you find tune and then you figure it out as a process of how you're going to market your um your services and creating a process around it because that's how that's the only way you can then you're creating scalability in doing that and if you're doing that right from day one then you realize that um it's very easier to uh, it's very easy to hire people to take it on board because what you have to do is teach the process um and not necessarily starting from scratch that's fantastic toya so it's been a genuine pleasure having you on the show and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today his podcast is called leadership for startups and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again Toya once again. It's been lovely. We'll have to have you on again cuz I'm sure a lot of the lads from my startup socks are going to have questions. So we might have to do a follow-up interview. That's fine. I'm on the road. That's great. So until the next journey. Ciao. Thank you.